millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Michael Adams, and you're listening to Australia on This Day. Today we're heading back to Friday the 12th of July 1912. That was the day that Fanny Durack became the first woman in the world to win an Olympic gold medal for swimming. But before Fanny beat her competitors at the Stockholm Games in the 100m freestyle final, she had to beat enormous odds back in Australia just to get to the Olympics. While she'd eventually be known to every Australian as Fanny, she was actually born Sarah Frances Durack on the 27th of October 1889. Her dad was a member of the pioneering Durack family that had later be chronicled by Mary Durack in her classic book, Kings in Grass Castles. But rather than be a pastoralist, Fanny's dad was a Sydney publican and she and her siblings grew up in Durack's Hotel, which stood at the corner of Elizabeth and Campbell Streets. The story goes that Fanny only became a swimming champion because she nearly drowned when she was seven years old. Enjoying a day at the beach with her family in Newcastle, little Fanny was knocked over in the surf. A St Bernard saw her flailing in the water and this heroic dog swam out and held her above the waves until she could be saved. After that, Fanny's dad decided Fanny was going to learn to swim. Fanny taught herself to dog paddle at Coogee Baths, which was the only purpose-built swimming venue that was then open to girls and women. Having conquered the dog paddle, she'd later learn the trudgeon style, which is a combination of overarm and breaststroke. By March 1902, Fanny was good enough to compete at the first New South Wales Ladies' Championships held at Redfern Baths. On that race day, she also got to watch Australia's first female superstar of the pool, Annette Kellerman, win the 100-yard and quarter-mile events. Not yet 14 years old, Fanny proved that she was one to watch too by winning the 54-yard junior swim. Over the next decade, Fanny would win many more races, including her first state championship in 1906 and be known as the fastest woman in Australian waters after Annette Kellerman went overseas and went professional. Fanny had just been five years old in 1894 when Baron de Coubertin proposed reviving the Olympics. While the Games were to be a symbol of peace, the first modern Olympics in Athens in 1896 wasn't exactly a symbol of equality. That's because the Baron had banned women from competing because including female sports would be, as he put it, quote, impractical, uninteresting, unaesthetic and incorrect. The International Olympic Committee bowed to his whims that year, but stood up to him after that, well, at least a little. At the 1900 Paris Games, ladies could compete in the gentle events, namely golf, croquet, equestrian, sailing and lawn tennis. And over the next two games, skating, tennis and archery were open to women. But it wasn't until Stockholm in 1912 that women's swimming was to be part of the games. It was clear to everybody that Fanny Durack was Australia's best bet to win gold in the 100m freestyle event, closely followed by her friend and pool rival, young Mina Wiley. 
The big obstacle to either of these women getting gold at Stockholm wasn't going to be women swimmers from other nations. It was Australian sporting authorities who didn't want Fanny and Mina to go. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, women swimmers were considered by Puritans to be potential temptresses who might inflame male passions. So girls and women had to swim separately in bars and ocean pools. They also had to cover up, really cover up. Swimming costumes were made of thick wool and comprised short-sleeved thigh-length dresses worn with knee-length tights or bloomers. These outfits were uncomfortable when wet and literally a real drag for any woman hoping to break records and win races. It wasn't until 1907 when, for one of her epic overseas swims, Annette Kellerman defied convention by wearing a man's cotton one-piece that attitudes began to change about swimming costumes down under. Even so, in 1912, Rose Scott, leading feminist and president of the New South Wales Ladies Swimming Association, was hot under the collar about the ongoing potential moral jeopardy of women's swimming events. Rose was vehemently opposed to holding female championships in the presence of male competitors or spectators. She reckoned that any woman or girl who participated in such a public display risked social ruin. Of course, the 1912 Stockholm Olympics would have male competitors and men in the audience. So Rose Scott announced in February 1912 that the New South Wales Ladies Swimming Association couldn't possibly endorse the attendance of any female swimmers. This decision was supported by the Men's Swimming Association president who said that given five Australian men were already going to compete in the Games, it'd be a waste of time and money for any women to also go. The Australasian Olympic Committee, which decided matters for the combined Australian and New Zealand teams, also refused to provide any moral or financial support for Fanny or Mina. Many Australians were outraged. In a letter to the Sun newspaper, one correspondent suggested that Rose Scott should change her association's name to the New South Wales Ladies Modesty Association and let women who were actually interested in advancing the cause of swimming take charge. Quote, she should cast off her ridiculous ideas of modesty and keep pace with modern thought. This letter writer continued, quote, It will be a lasting disgrace to Australian sport if such a magnificent swimmer as Miss Durack is not sent to Stockholm. Fanny's cause was taken up by legendary boxing promoter and entrepreneur Hugh D. McIntosh and his wife, and they launched a subscription drive to try to raise enough money to send Fanny to the Games. They said that if they hit their target, £160, any further funds would go to getting Mina to Stockholm as well. Thousands of people made small contributions, while high-profile donors included 1908 London Olympics champion Snowy Baker, department store kings Sam and Anthony Horden, and even the Tooth's Beer Company. Faced with this backlash, the rank and file of the Ladies Swimming Association went against Rose Scott and voted to endorse Fanny going to Stockholm. While sufficient funds had been raised for Fanny, social convention at the time dictated that she had to have a chaperone, so the Durack family had to cough up the cash for her sister to go with her. As Fanny recalled it later, it was just two weeks before she set sail that she learned the Australian crawl. She said she picked it up by watching Alec Wickham, the Solomon Islander who introduced that sort of stroke down under, and Cecil Healy, who'd go on to win silver at the Stockholm Games and later be killed on the Western Front. 
Three weeks after Fanny left Sydney, Australasian Olympic officials had a change of heart and decided that Mina could go to the Games after all. She'd be accompanied by her father, who owned Coogee Bars, and he'd act as coach to her and to Fanny. So it was that these two young women comprised the entire Australasian Olympic ladies swimming team, and they'd represent in patriotic green caps and green cloaks. They might have had their finery, but in the lead-up to the Games, they also endured pretty tough conditions. Fanny and Mina were only allowed to use the Olympic pool once a week because it was reserved for men and otherwise had to train in the harbour, which even in summer was cold. When the Games got underway, Fanny blew her competitors out of the water. In the first heat, she swam the 100 yards in 1 minute 19.8 seconds, which was a new world record. She won her semi with a time of 1 minute 20.2 seconds. Then, on Friday the 12th of July, 1912, Fanny and Mina lined up against two English girls and a German for the 100 metres freestyle championship. This is how a reporter for The Guardian in London captured the action. All got away to a good start. Miss Durack at once went to the front. At 50 yards, she was leading by three yards from the English and German girls who were neck and neck with Mina in the rear. Durak swam into the side of the pool, recovered and, using a beautiful Australian crawl, won by four yards in the excellent time of 1 minute 22.2 seconds. Excitingly, at the 80 metre mark, Mina had passed the others to come second. It was gold and silver for Australia. This achievement, not just an Australian first, but a world first, merited a dry paragraph on page 11 of the Sydney Morning Herald. The Sun newspaper's coverage of Fanny's performance at the Olympic Games at least had a bit more life. Quote, The Sydney girl created a sensation by her freestyle of action in the water. And this, quote, That she is the fastest lady swimmer in the world is beyond question. The Evening News got an interview with Fanny when she returned to Sydney on the 26th of September. Stepping off the boat, decked out head-to-toe in Parisian fashions and holding a bunch of waratahs that a fan had sent out to her ship, Fanny was initially reluctant to talk. Then she burst into laughter and said, It has been simply lovely. Such a time, so many places, so many people, so many races. The reporter prodded. And so many wins? Fanny conceded, Yes, I won them all. Blushing, she added, they christened me the Queen of Swimming in Germany and also in Sweden, but don't put that in the paper. People might think I am talking too much about myself. The evening news headline was, of course, Queen of Swimmers. Modesty aside, Fanny didn't want to give up that crown anytime soon, and she was looking forward to bringing home more gold at the 1916 Berlin Olympics. But the outbreak of the Great War meant there wouldn't be a German Games for another 20 years. While the European war raged, Fanny had to remain in Australia. Prevented from competing directly with the best swimmers in the world, she didn't rest on her laurels, setting 12 new records during this time, holding the title of fastest woman in the world from the 50 yards to the mile. Meanwhile, Mina Wiley was almost always just a few yards behind Fanny in the pool. With the war over, Fanny and Mina wanted to prove themselves in America, but their 1919 tour there was a disaster, as the host nation's swimming associations rudely called into question their amateur status by saying that if their manager was paid, that made them professionals. As Smith's Weekly put it in August of that year, quote, if you can't beat them, bar them. 
This was a bitter experience for Fanny, but there was worse to come. Back in Australia in 1920, she trained hard for the Antwerp Olympics by swimming a mile a day. Then, heartbreakingly, just a week before she was set to sail, she doubled over with crippling pain. Fanny's appendix had burst and she was rushed to hospital for emergency surgery. Complications ensued and she couldn't make it to the Antwerp Games. While Fanny was unlucky to miss another chance at gold, she was actually lucky to have been on land when she had her medical emergency. If it had taken place when she was on the open ocean and days from her port, she might have died. And that would have robbed Australia of a woman who, over the next 35 years, devoted herself to the sport of swimming, acting as a coach and official for up-and-coming female champions. In 1955, Fanny was looking forward to going to another Olympics, the Melbourne Games, and she was going to serve as a race official and be an official guest. Sadly, this wasn't to be. Later that year, Fanny was diagnosed with cancer and she died on the 20th of March 1956, eight months before the opening ceremony of the Melbourne Olympic Games. While the Games were still underway, Fanny's brother Frank presented her gold medal to the Australian Government and it was put on display at Parliament House in Canberra. These days, you can see it in the Treasures Gallery at the National Library of Australia. As for Durack's Hotel, where Fanny dreamed of being a swimming champion, well, it's still standing. These days it's called the Surrey Hills Hotel, and it's a great place for a beer. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.